chapter 6. We're going to be reading from verses 21 to 24. And you'll notice this is the end. We've made it. Next week we'll be starting an Advent series. Pastor Greg Stiles will be bringing the word. And this is going to be just an incredible season of looking to that bright hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But for now, let's round out our study in Ephesians. Would you stand with me as we read from God's Word this morning? Again, we're in Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 21. And it says this, So that you also may know how I am, and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you, be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Cooped up in a small room at an undisclosed location, nestled safely within the borders of the United States, through wireless technology and satellite linkage, an American soldier can command an unmanned aerial vehicle to strike a target thousands of miles away. Similarly, safe and secure from the cold morning. In an upstairs bedroom, coffee in hand, hair still askewed, still in her pajamas, through the magic of Wi-Fi and cellular technology, with a swipe of a finger, a young millennial can command the largest online retailer to send wrapped Christmas presents around the world. This is incredible technology. The advancements that we've seen in recent decades is just phenomenal. And it completely changes the way battles are fought, wars are won, the way checks are deposited, pizzas are ordered, and those little yellow smiley faces... We can send those out whenever we want in incredible um, ways. Yet similarly, predating our time by almost 2,000 years, before radio communication, before microchips, before cellular technology, or the internet, the Apostle Paul was able to call on the all-powerful, all-present God of all creation, to send vital spiritual aid to Christians who are living on the front lines in Ephesus. And that's what we see happening here at the end of this great letter to those believers. Last week, we noted that Paul considers himself an ambassador in chains. He takes this calling as Christ's ambassador. He takes it very, very seriously. Though he finds himself in these very bleak circumstances, his heart, it beats for Christ. And it beats that 
the love of Christ and the, and the glory of Christ might go forth and empower God's people. This is his reason for living. He said, for, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Any desire there was for self-advancement or self-pleasure, self-fulfillment, it was outweighed by a love for Jesus and a desire to see his people flourish. He told his protege in 2 Timothy 2, verse 4, he said, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Paul was a soldier. He said, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And that's evident. That desire in him is evident by the words he's written here in the book of Ephesians. He told these believers the crucial truths that they need to know so that they might survive in this hostile world. Stand in the face of that spiritual warfare. He encouraged them in 6.18 to call on God for help, telling them, pray at all times, with all prayer, supplication for all the saints. In other words, pray in the Spirit on every occasion, every opportunity you get for all Christians. But now, in his final words, he himself calls on God to bring a special aid to these believers. He can't go to them himself. See, he, he sends this fellow messenger, he sends this messenger to them to go encourage them, but Paul can't go. He's stuck in Rome. He's stuck in chains. Have you ever felt powerless? Powerless to help a loved one in need. In almost every way, Paul was powerless. And yet he knows that the God he serves knows no bounds. No bounds whatsoever. There are no limitations, no distances, no obstacles that impede his reach. There are no needs that he can't meet. So like a soldier pinned down and unable to help the rest of his unit who is in need, he calls into HQ for the necessary resources. What critical resources does he ask for? That's what we want to concern ourselves with this morning. What are the things that he finds essential, that these Christians, he wants to call to the Lord and say, these things, Lord, send these things. I can't give these to them. Only you can. What are those four things? That's what we want to look at this morning briefly. First, Paul prays for peace. He prays for peace. He says, peace be to the brothers. Verse 23. Peace was something that these people in Ephesus, we noted many, many, many weeks ago, they didn't have before coming to know Jesus. We looked at chapter 2, starting in verse 1, which he said, You're dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind were by nature we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind 
we noted, the death that he's talking about, it's not a physical one. Certainly physical death is one of the results of our sin. But Paul was telling these Ephesians that there's something far worse than that. You are spiritually dead. There's an alienation that has taken place here. There's a separation between humanity and God. This is terrible news. And we noted we're no exception. The one who created us, who sustains us, the one who can give our lives meaning and purpose, the one who's the source of everything good, the one who's necessary for human flourishing, he's the one that we've cut ourselves off from. This is tragic. What a huge mistake. I can remember when one of my brothers, I think he was around eight years old, he got in a fight with my parents, and it was probably his fault. I'm sure it was his fault. But he decided, I'm, not, I'm through with this. I'm, I'm, I'm done with this family. I'm done with these parents. And I'm going to strike, strike it out on my own. And so he packed up his belongings. I think he had a, this little weird bunny thing that he took with him. He put it in a little knapsack and, and he booked it down the street. He booked it down the street. He'd cut himself off from everything that was good, from food, clothing, shelter, fun activities, a family that loved him. It wasn't before long that he realized he had made a huge mistake. In fact, I think he made it to the end of the street and then turned right around and came back. But unlike my brother, we can't turn around and come back on our own. That's what's so, so sad about all of it. There's a separation that's taken place here that we can't fix. Isaiah 59.2 tells the people of Israel, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and and your God. Our disobedience, our rebellion against Him, it's, it's created this, this impassable chasm between a God who loves us and ourselves. And not only were we separated from the goodness of God, but we were separated from each other. Separated from each other, we were enslaved to sin, He tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. We were enslaved because we had the destructive influence of the world that surrounded us. We were enslaved to the destructive influence of Satan. We were enslaved to our own fallen nature. There was something inside of us, our own nature, that fundamentally shifted and changed. Where once it was directed toward God and looked to Him for everything that it needed, and now it curved inward. One pastor I was under once called this incurvation. We've turned in on ourselves, our hearts want to serve ourselves. They want to look to us for, for everything that can sustain us. We're, we're enslaved by this. We're, we're trapped in this. A young child caught in the act of mouthing off instead of apologizing. Just, just apologize. Just make things better. Make things right. But a stubborn child, I've seen this time and time again, a stubborn child will double down. I've been caught in the act, found guilty, I'm going to double down now. Blood rushes to their head, their fists clench, their jaw muscles tighten, and they find themselves in this downward, self-destructive spiral of getting more and more angry. They're trapped. And every word that now comes out of their mouth just digs that hole deeper and deeper and deeper. That's kind of what it's like for people who have rebelled against God. We have hearts that have hardened. 
in a posture that's, that's set not parallel anymore. It's set perpendicular to God. We're trapped. We're enslaved. We, we couldn't turn ourselves around and get back to God if we wanted to. We're turned away from Him and we're cut off and enslaved to even our own corrupt desires. And on top of that, we're, con- we're condemned, he said in Ephesians 2, verse 3. We're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We stood guilty before him. And standing guilty before holy God puts you in, in danger. In, it, it puts you in line, in, in direct direct, targeted line with his righteous anger. What a horrible place to be. There's no peace here. Peace has been disrupted in in the most profound way possible. No peace between us and God. I mentioned a few minutes ago, not only was there no peace between us and God, there's no peace between us and each other. Our sin brought up these dividing walls of hostility that that separated us, created a wedge between us and God. And we've seen it rise between the races. We've seen it rise between classes, between genders. We've seen it rise between parents and children, brothers and sisters, husbands and wives. No peace. What an awful place to be. But Paul brings us great hope. But God, he writes in verse 4, chapter 2, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our, what? He's our peace. Who's made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinances. He might create for himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, that he might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. It's the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus that has brought us peace. That's what Paul tells us has broken down these walls of hostility. And it's created the establishment of Christ's church, this new people, this new nation, because of the peace we have as individuals with God. We can now have peace with each other. This is incredible. Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, upper class, lower class, people of all sorts of different colors, men and women. And that same peace that restored our relationship with God and restores our relationships with each other is the peace that guards us 
against the enemy's attacks. That's what he told us in Ephesians 6, 15. He said it's the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's one of the armors we put on that protects us as we hold fast to the gospel of Jesus and as we live it out in our relationships with each other. Peace is the result. We can pray for peace and we should pray for peace. But we also need to be looking to the gospel and holding fast to Jesus, our one and only hope. Because he is the one who has brought peace. Here at the end of this letter, Paul knows that peace is crucial for the survival of these believers. It's crucial, not only for their survival, but it's crucial for their flourishing. They're not going to grow. They're not going to develop. They're not going to mature into the people that God wants them to be without Christ's peace. And so that's what he prays at the end. He puts in an order. He calls out for delivery. And, and not to my house. I want it to come to their house. Send them peace. A supernatural outpouring of God's peace to be given to believers. And he, and he can have absolute confidence when he prays that. Because he knows the God he's praying to. Do you know people who could use more peace in their lives? Let's be praying in the days ahead that God might bring an ongoing and deeper understanding of God's peace to people we know, and especially here at Bethany. Not only does he pray for peace, he prays for God's love. These soldiers, they were out of Paul's reach. They need a deeper, fuller understanding of God's love if they're going to keep on going. So Paul calls in for it. He says, peace be to the brothers and love. They need a fuller, more developed understanding, knowledge of God's love. And as they grow in their understanding of God's love, it's going to start flowing out of them to all sorts of different people. Jesus said in John 13, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. How do you do this? Just, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love's what God has poured into us. Ephesians 2, 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Greater love the world has never known. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. If we're now his people, his love, love that gives of itself and expects nothing in return, love that lays down its own interests for the good of others, that's the kind of love that comes pouring out of us. Paul said in Ephesians 5, he said, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That love, it doesn't come from us. It doesn't originate in us. We can't say, I need to love more, and then somehow strain our muscles and have love just pour out of us. It doesn't work that way. Christian love comes in direct proportion to the degree a believer has been touched by the love of God 
themselves. Remember the woman who washed Jesus' feet? Luke 7 tells us, turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. but She's washed. She has wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased kissing my feet to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins are forgiven, which are many. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. You see, the more we understand our need for our own forgiveness, the more we experience that love of Christ, and the more we're gladly willing to give it out to others. But I think the danger for so many of us who have lived and walked the Christian life for so long is it's very easy for us to forget our own need for God's love. And we need to continually come back to the foot of the cross and repent of our sins and recognize that the only reason that we are anything, that we have any knowledge, that we have any smidgen of holiness in our lives, it's all because of Jesus Christ. And we bask in the love of Jesus. Like Peter just said, wash, wash all of me. I, I, I want the rest of me just completely bathed. And then we pour it out to others. So Paul prays that these Ephesian Christians, that they've been given a, they'd be given a fuller understanding of this incredible love of God, and that their love may increase for others. Let's be praying for a deeper, richer, fuller understanding of God's love for one another, that we might love even more like Christ. Peace, love. He also prays for faith. Peace be to the brothers, love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is how we step into this new relationship with God, isn't it? It's how the work of Christ is applied to our lives. It's how we're forgiven our sin. It's how we're washed clean. It's how his righteousness is applied to our lives and how we're sealed with that promised Holy Spirit. Like he mentioned in Ephesians 1, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And that faith, just like love, doesn't come from us. He told us in 2.8, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Faith is the thing that started this whole new wonderful life that we have. But it's also the way that this life And this relationship with God continues to grow. That's how Paul prays in chapter 3. He wants believers to be strengthened by the power of God's Spirit as Christ dwells in their hearts that they might be strengthened in their faith. As we walk through life trusting Christ, we grow in our knowledge of His power and his love for us. He takes us through those dark times of life, and we see his faithfulness, and our faith just starts to grow. It's like when you you meet someone for the first time, 
Maybe you, maybe you think, ah, oh, this might be a new friend. And so you start, what do they say, self-disclosing. You share a few little things about yourself. You talk about the weather. You talk about basic things, things you have in common interest with each other. But as you spend more and more time together, and then they go through a hard time. You go through a hard time. And you share that with them. And they come by your side. And they're, they're taking care of you. And they're, they're listening intently. They're just sitting there with you, just being with you, shepherding you through that. All of a sudden, your relationship just starts taking off. Because, because you see this person, this person is someone who cares for me. I, I have nothing to give them in this situation. And they keep pouring themselves into me. So I, I trust them more. Our relationship is flourishing. I can rely on them in deeper, more significant ways. And before you know it, you come to realize this is a, this is a lifelong friendship. How did I even live without this? Walking by faith in Christ, your trust becomes increasingly strengthened as each new difficulty comes in your life and you take it to Christ. You lift it up and you say, God, this is way too big for me. This is crushing me. I need you desperately. And you see him carry you through. You rely on his promises and your faith takes flight. It grows in tremendous ways. Faith is where our relationship with God begins. It's how, it's how it grows. And we learned a few weeks ago that it's how we stand against the forces of evil and the lies of Satan. It's absolutely critical that believers have this strong, deep, rich faith in Christ. It's, it's foundational. Without, without this kind of faith, you're like a house that's just built on the sand. The storm comes and the waves come crashing and your foundation is not strong. And before you know it, the house is slipping right off and it's crumbling in the breakers. But with strong faith in Christ, you're like a house built on a rock and those waves come crashing and you feel them. You feel them. But you're unmoved. Because you're anchored tightly to a firm foundation of faith in the rock-solid God of all creation. Finally, faith is one of those things that you can look at when you see it in someone's life. When you see someone going through a hard time and you see their faith. I've seen that so many times demonstrated recently in our church. I see their faith, faith in the midst of great hardship. And you know, you just know God has done a work in that person's life. It's one of the indicators for tr- a true relationship with God. You see that faith coming out and you realize this person, this person is definitely a believer. We all know talk is cheap. You can profess something all you want. You can sign up. You can say, I'm a Christian. But you don't really know until you see that person tested. And they start enduring those difficult moments. And you see them clinging to the promises of Scripture. And you see them, instead of panicking, they're calling out to God. Sometimes in tears. Sometimes with just wailings. And yet there is faith there. That's the kind of faith you can take to the bank. 
It's evidence that they're truly members of the kingdom of God. Love with faith, he says. When you see those two things flowing from a person's life, you good reason to believe that God has done a mighty work inside of them. Good reason to believe they are truly his. Paul wrote the Thessalonian believers in 1 Thessalonians 1. He wrote, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God the Father your work of faith, labor of love, steadfast hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, for we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. There was faith there. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Faith and love were Paul's measuring stick. They were the two evidences that he was looking for to determine whether or not a person was truly saved. So we get to ask, do faith and love characterize my life? Paul prayed that God would send more to these Ephesian Christians. We should be praying the same for each other. Yeah, you can pray for all those other things too, like we spoke of last week. Pray that they be healthy. Pray that they be delivered from this trial they're going through. Pray that finances would increase and stabilize. And yet, greater things that we need to be praying for are things like peace and love and faith. That they might be able to stand in the time of trial. Finally, Paul prays for grace. For grace. Without grace, we're doomed. We're absolutely doomed. We don't even pass go without God's grace. With it, we're reborn. We're brought out of darkness into this marvelous light, empowered to live a life that pleases God. We're able to stand in the storm. We're able to persevere. We're able to carry the torch that others may see. And we're able to give grace to others. Remember, we talked about parents weeks and weeks ago. If you don't understand your need for God's grace and how that you have received God's grace, how are you going to give it to your children? How are we going to give grace to each other if we don't profoundly know the grace that's been given to us? Ephesians 6.24, he says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. That's what he's praying for them. That they might experience and know God's grace. We began our series in Ephesians talking about God's grace. Paul begins the letter with grace to you and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. This was his desire for them. This was his prayer for them that they might receive God's grace. And we said as they read this letter from Paul, they were going to see God's grace written all over it, and they were going to be receiving God's grace as the Holy Spirit enabled them to believe these truths. God's grace is what we receive through his word. It's his goodness that's poured out on us who deserve nothing but bad. Grace is good that God gives people freely who should only get bad. That's what Paul is sharing with them. But now he says, grace be with you. Go with you. 
It's something that needs to be ongoing in our lives. We don't just get grace once and like, okay, we got it. I'll put that in my knapsack and now I'm off. No, we need to be constantly receiving God's grace, constantly having an outpouring on our lives in moments of failure. And we have many. We need God's grace. We need to know that love and forgiveness that God has freely, graciously poured out on us. I need to know the good news of the gospel as I walk through this life. And I need to be constantly preaching the gospel of God's grace to myself. Because if I don't, then I'm preaching condemnation to myself every time I fail. Jared, what a loser you are. Jared, how could you do this again? Jared, how could you allow this into your life? No, I need to look back to the cross. I need to preach that gospel to myself and bathe in God's grace. We need grace in moments of suffering. How we need it. We need to know that God cares for us. We need to know that He's going to give us what we need to endure. We need to know that he secured our eternal destiny. Yeah, we're receiving grace in this life. There's grace that is stored up for us on the other name, other end, and it is going to be beautiful. He said, and Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Have you ever felt like that? Your outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. This light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We need grace in the moments of suffering. We need grace in our moments of victory and in those times of ease. We need to be reminded that this place and the things that we have, this is not where our trust needs to be. This is just a temporary time of plenty. If we're experiencing financial success, it's temporary. The finances will go away. If we're experiencing good health, or if we're in the best shape of our lives, it's temporal. It's fleeting. It's like a puff of smoke. It's here and it's gone. We need God's grace in those moments to remind us that there is no greater joy, no greater hope, no greater peace, no greater security than is found in God. We're so quick to build idols. And we look to the new car, we look to the new job, we look to the, the chance of getting a college scholarship. We look to a new relationship. Oh, this could be exciting. We look to anything and everything to find what we really need to find in God. So easy to take our eyes off of Christ when things are going well, isn't it? Yet often those are the times when we're most vulnerable. You remember David, Second Samuel chapter 11. Things were great. Send the army out to battle. I don't even need to go. I'll stay at home. And that's when he needed God's grace the most. The temptation got the better of him. We need God's grace to keep our eyes firmly fixed on him grace to throw off all those other things that hold us down and hold us back grace to run the race with endurance that's set before us looking unto jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith we need grace all the time 
We need it when we're tired, when we're discouraged, when we're hurt, when we're frustrated, when we're angry, when we're stressed, when we're powerless, when we're lonely, when we're afraid. But we also need grace when we're relaxed, when we're comfortable and confident, and when we're tempted to be proud of ourselves, feeling on top of the world. Paul knows we need grace. He can't give it. He can't be there with them. But he calls on his God in confidence saying, Lord, give them grace. He was in prison thousands of miles away. And yet Paul was able, able because of his great God, to comfort and care for and provide for these believers. We need to be a little bit more confident in our all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, all-sufficient God who loves us dearly. All Paul needed to do was pray, and he could be confident that everything that they needed would be supplied according to God's riches and grace. So now as we end our study in Ephesians, let's do the same for each other. Let's be people who trust Let's be people who pray. Before the foundation of the world, God chose us to be holy, to be set apart, to be blameless. At the cross of Christ, it was God who redeemed, who forgave, who secured our inheritance, who seated us in heavenly places. And even now, it's God who provides and protects and empowers. And it's God who will sustain until that day that we step into eternity and see him face to face. May God's peace be to you brothers and sisters, with love and faith from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And may God's grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your provision for us. You've given us everything that we need. Lord, you've called us to yourself. This was your plan even before we took our first breath. Before the foundations of this earth were laid, you had us in mind. Thank you, Lord, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are our rock-solid hope. Lord, may our trust be firmly, firmly founded in you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people who take that seriously. This, this church thing isn't just something we do on the weekend. It's not something, that an activity, in addition to all the other activities in our lives, Lord. This is, this is part of our life. Help us not to add you in to fit you into our schedules, Lord, but help us to recognize that Jesus Christ is our life. And may we be people who are characterized by him as we walk, as we work, as we learn, as we love. Lord, we're your people here. We pray that you would provide the things that we need. Would you give us peace? Would you guide us to a deeper knowledge of your love? Would you strengthen our faith? 
And Lord, would you be gracious to us? And as it comes, Lord, may we recognize it and see it for what it is and praise and worship you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.